Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And today we have a very interesting conversation about divination. Now, divination is something, a word that we often hear, especially in this realm, but there's a lot of even negative connotation around it. A lot of assumptions and ideas just based on stories and beliefs that have been passed down. So whether we are consciously aware of it or not, we may already have a particular type of relationship to what that means. Well, today you're going to meet a beautiful woman named Risa Miller, and she is the founder of Tea and Smoke. She offers tea leaf readings, smoke readings, and tarot readings. But what we learn from her today is how really we're all natural diviners, and we have an opportunity to refine that aspect of our design. So in this conversation today, you will learn a lot about your communication with all of the information around you, including symbols and how that really comes into um, a way or a language of the universe communicating with us. You'll also learn a lot about the different systems of divination that she uses, including the smoke readings, which I had never heard of. And it's very, very interesting. I do recommend if you're listening to this in the podcast, perhaps you're listening while you're driving or doing laundry, something at home. If you get a chance at some point, go to my YouTube channel, Reiki Radio, and watch this interview because at some point she shows images of the drawings that she creates based on the tea leaf readings. And they're absolutely beautiful. They really look like mandalas. And there's something about the image of them, I think will resonate with a lot of you, inspire some of you. Um, they're absolutely beautiful. So you're going to learn a lot today about divination, um, even some, a bit of history behind different systems of divination, but also again, how you can learn how to refine this for yourself and how it really supports us in gaining more clarity on our path and you know, stepping out of that inner tug of war that we often find ourselves in. And speaking of divination, of course, if you would like a copy of my Oracle deck, the Energetic Alchemist Oracle, you can go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com and order your copy of the deck today. And there is a free Oracle class to support you that is available on my app. So if you haven't downloaded the app yet, be sure to do that. There's so much content on there to support you on your path, including Reiki tools, alchemy tools. I do daily readings by sign. There's just a lot there to really support you. So download the app today. And when we are done with this interview, if you would like to learn more about Risa and her work, be sure to visit her website, teaandsmoke.com. You can find um, all the links to connect with her down in the show description. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, beauties. I'll see you on the other side. Okay, everyone, we are here with the beautiful Risa Miller. And we're going to talk about divination and all of the different ways that you connect with supporting people on their paths. So first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Oh, it was absolutely a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your work. I mean, just reading about your work was so interesting. 
So I know that you work with different systems of divination and we'll get more into it, like tea leaf readings and smoke readings, which I've never even heard of. Um, but I would love to know what even led you up to this work? How did you end up on this path? I feel like it was part of my destiny. Um, I know that sounds like a lofty thing to say, but let me start at the beginning. Okay. So um, I was raised playing a game with my dad we called scribble art. And um, basically when I was a little girl, I mean a little girl, we would play this game where we would get blank paper, close our eyes and just scribble all over it in a random pattern and then trade drawings. And the idea was to learn to see patterns in chaos and color in the found pictures. Wow. So from that age, I was learning to sort of discern symbols, patterns, and look for the message. And it taught me <laughs> basically how to read tea and smoke or do other kinds of scrying work. Um, I would also add that I am a third generation tarot reader. So it was always around me. It was just part of my life. It didn't, it didn't seem, you know, mystical or magical. It was just something that was around. In fact, by the time I was a teenager, I had rejected tarot for a while because that's what teenagers do. Mm -hmm. And um, I fully went into tea leaf reading um, when I was a teenager, I taught myself. <laughs> so I'm 48 years old. There was no uh, look it up on the internet back then. Yes. I created my own symbol system. It's the one I still use today. It does not adhere to any book or dictionary or log that you're going to find anywhere else. I have added to it over the years with um, art and literature classes, with folklore classes. Um, I have studied symbology of different cultures and it just expands the repertoire. It doesn't take away from the symbols that I taught myself, you know, 30 years ago. So that was a long answer to your question, but um, no, I that... feel like this work was truly my destiny and um, being able to read and discern energy as a diviner is just part of my path. I mean, it's actually very interesting. Your story. I've never heard of the scribble art, but it also makes me curious. So you say you're a third generation tarot reader. Did that come from your dad's side or your mom's side? Were both of your parents? Mom's side. Mom's side. Wow. Okay. And so even with the scribble art, was that in connection to, did your father also have an interest in divination or just any of the mystical arts? My father spent some time growing up uh, living on native reservations here in the United States. So I wouldn't say he specifically had an interest in divination, but he had a very alternative, still does, he still has a very alternative way of understanding spirit and nature and humanity's connection within our, our relationship with the earth, with each other. And uh, he is an, he he went to school to be an artist. And I think the scribble art was literally supposed to be a way to entertain me. And mm. it just became so much more. It's, um, <laughs> we occasionally still do it. Um, I think it's probably the only game from my childhood that I 
carried forward that I share with others that I love teaching to adults and children. It is a wonderful way to learn to trust yourself mm -hmm. and to learn to see that even in chaos, there are patterns. I mean, I understand, of course, any scientist or um, mathematician would tell you the same, but um, I feel like a lot of creative people and spiritual people um, could use a simple guide system like scribble art to, to learn to find those patterns in chaos. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, it's really beautiful. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that would be a fun thing to try and mm -hmm. experiment with. So, I mean, even thinking of that, so you had on your mother's side, this already born into this connection with tarot, and then your mm -hmm. father being this artist and very much connected to the essence of spirit in all things and land and all. And I just want to put that as a side note, because in reading about your work, I was curious about your take on spirit guides as um, in the traditional sense of how we think of them, but also how they may be in plants. So yes. we'll come back to that. But you did mention teaching yourself tea leaf reading. So mm -hmm. I know a lot of people aren't familiar with this. Could you tell us a little bit about this system and what even drew you into it? Sure. So uh, for anybody who's not super familiar with tea leaf reading, um, I encourage you to check out Harry Potter. <laughs> um, Professor Sybil Trelawney does a tea leaf reading for Harry and uh, that's where most people know tea leaf reading from these days. It was also featured in the Outlander books and way back in, uh, 2002 on Friends, they had a tea leaf reading. So um, there is a little bit of modern appreciation, sort of shout out to tea leaf reading. Now tea leaf reading predates Christianity. It came uh, to Europe and then America on the Silk Road. And for those who don't know, the Silk Road was a trade route that connected Asia, the Middle East and Africa to Europe. And we don't know where tea leaf reading originated and it, it's lost to history. Nobody will ever be able to tell us. But for me, it happened quite by accident. I was gifted a fancy bag of loose tea when I was a teenager by my mom. Now, back then, loose tea was a specialty item as, and uh, you couldn't just pick it up at any Whole Foods because there was none and there was no Amazon to have it delivered. It was yeah. a special gift and it came with a little metal tea ball that promptly broke. Um, I guess this was part of destiny as well. <laughs> so the tea ball broke and my fancy loose tea was floating around in the cup. I wasn't going to waste it. So I drank it anyway. And the tea leaves started to stick to the inside of the cup. And I said, well, that looks like a cat. And mom said to me, that is a kind of divination. She said, I, I think that you should see if you see anything else. And I, I absolutely did. So I started keeping a notebook, just a regular notebook, paper notebook, where I would doodle. The first thing I saw was a cat. And then I saw a basket. And they became the first two symbols I learned. From then, it just expanded. What took more time was the meaning I decided to attach to the symbols. And as a teenager, I, I wasn't always secure in trusting my intuition. And I guess I wasn't just as a teenager, <laughs> that was probably for the next 20 years. But um, after that, I, 
I saw the symbols enough and I, I had enough familiarity with them that I truly believed that the message that was coming from that cat, from the basket, from whatever symbol it might be, were accurate and were what I was supposed to see in that moment. You know, even now, there are times I see symbols in a cup. I have to tell you, I think that can't be right. That can't be right. Um, a, a not too long ago example, I saw a, a Bigfoot playing a musical instrument and I thought that can't, <laughs> that can't be right. I, I've missed it. But I was right. Um, that particular young lady who was seeking from the tea that day uh, had a boyfriend who liked to dress up like a Bigfoot and he <laughs> was in a band. So it was completely accurate. And all I had to do was simply trust that is amazing. Okay, so there's two things I would like to ask you about from what you've shared so far. One, I guess if we could back up a little bit and just talk about divination in general, because I think a lot mm -hmm. of people hear the word, but could you talk about what that is, what it's pointing to, mm -hmm. and then how it can support us? But I also want to know if you can tie in with that um, symbols and symbolism, because a lot of us are looking for symbols or it's just a natural thing where we think things are like, oh, that's a symbol, that's a sign. So could you talk about that correlation? Absolutely. So those are two huge ones right there. So divin divination has been around as long as humans have been around, as long as people have had uncertainty or questions, they have looked to some form of divination or another for answers from spirit, from gods and goddesses, from angels, archangels, um, ancestors. And I believe that no matter what you believe or where you come from in this conversation, there is a guide there for you. And I actually, I think most of us have more than one guide. Um, it's been my experience. But that said, um, everybody looks to divination sometimes. I mean, anytime you see a professional sports game started with a coin flip, they're using divination. So um, it is a part of our culture. It is a part of our culture that I feel in the past probably 100 to 150 years has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. And there's a lot of complicated reasons that that has happened. Um, previous to that, um, for about a thousand years, being known as a diviner might have been dangerous in many cultures. Uh, it would have um, qualified you as a witch. And if you know anything about history of the world, in fact, um, witches were usually considered dangerous. And to this day, unfortunately, there are places that witches are still uh, vilified and murdered, unfortunately. Now, is divination a part of witchcraft? It can be. But divination has also been part of many mainline religions, uh, people who don't even consider themselves religious. And uh, it has its own way of existing and answering questions in the world. With or without your faith, divination is there. And it is a system of guidance using a language of symbols. Now, those symbols can be very specific. Um, you can take, say, for instance, the tarot. The tarot is usually 78 cards, and each card has a set of meanings assigned to it. 
no one card has just one meaning, to be clear. Um, most of them have anywhere from 20 to 40 different meanings. And the job of the reader is to assign the correct one and put it into, I always say, a story. Um, almost all divination uh, comes with a story. Now you can get into the yes, no divination, um, but most things in life aren't a simple yes, no question. And um, I, I try to sort of shy away from that. Honestly, if you're looking for a yes, no, flip a coin. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Flip a coin um, or use a pendulum. Um, any of those things will give you a yes, no answer. And the answer to me is always like yes or no, but it depends. Yes. So um, <laughs> that's the that's the trick of the yes, no divination. But that said, I think that the larger divination world where you're looking at runes or you are looking at scrying in any of its many forms or even bibliomancy where you open a book to a page, you are opening yourself up to simple interpretation. Now, back to the tarot, you have the four suites and then the major arcana deck. And um, there are general understandings about them. So if you pull a card in the suite of cups, you know that you're being guided by your feelings. Is that wrong? Is that right? Let's look deeper because that alone isn't enough to answer our question. Sometimes it's a good thing to be guided by your feelings. And then sometimes your feelings might lead you down the wrong path and you should be listening to your intellect or your passion more than your feelings. But that said, um, symbols are can be agreed upon. So in our culture, um, we're in the United States. So in our culture, we know a dollar sign. We've all agreed upon that symbol. We've all agreed upon a stop sign here in the United States. Those symbols don't uh, necessarily hold true everywhere in the world. That's not necessarily their sign for traffic or their sign for money. But um, we have these agreed upon symbols that we understand. Um, we also have individual symbols that are unique to us. And then some of the lesser known symbols or symbols that are cultural. So a wolf to someone in Asia has a different meaning than a wolf to someone who is of native descent in the Americas. And they, they vary based on who's looking at them, what they mean. And then, you know, individually, uh, you know, like the example I just gave, a Bigfoot might be a terrifying monster to one person and a beloved partner to the next. So it, those are very individual. Now, when people are looking at symbols and trying to interpret them, the most important um, guide I can offer is to trust yourself. It's to mm -hmm. trust your intuition. And I think we're, we're taught as a culture here in the United States not to trust ourselves to trust authorities, whatever that means. I, right. you know, that's another agreed upon thing. But um, I think that learning that self-trust, the symbols become really evident. And, um, you know, there are the numerical codes of angel numbers and numerology. That's, that's a great place to begin looking at um, symbols that come through guides because it's uh, something you can easily uh, make notes on. <laughs> yeah. You can easily look for an 11 or you can look for a five and know what that might mean on your numerology or angel number chart. It's a good place to begin. But then symbols would become much more complicated as you go.
And if you feel comfortable with that, your guides will deliver more and more complicated symbols. And I think nature itself, herself, if you will, offers symbols constantly. And um, as a larger culture, we miss a lot of that, unfortunately. I think that um, the changes in nature, the cycles of nature always have knowledge to give us. And I think that it, it is an unfortunate reality that many people have lost touch with that. And it's unfortunate, not just for nature, but also for us as a species, um, that we're losing touch with those rhythms that are inherent to living on this planet. Yeah, I'm listening to you, it makes me think of, and I wanna ask what you feel about this, that Again, when we say divination, a lot of people, I think we we naturally think of, because of definition, we think of using these different tools and systems that are externalized. But even talking or hearing you talk about um, symbols and how they're presented to us in all of these variations, you know, it's like we are naturally designed to try to make sense of all of the information that surrounds us. And so I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. I imagine you must have wondered about it, maybe <laughs> like our design and being natural diviners and perhaps just needing the opportunity to refine that or trust it as you highlight yes. um, this type of thing. Because even again, with what you shared, I think a lot of people, a lot of us are divining in ways, but yes. wouldn't even consider it that or make that correlation. That's 100% true. I think that it is everybody's gift. I think everyone is intuitive. Are we all intuitive in the same way? No, not everybody is. Um, I think that we are all intuitive though. And I think that everyone has some kind of divination gift. It doesn't mean that you have to use a tool like tarot or runes or palm reading to use your gift. I mean, if you want to learn it, try it, check it out. I often will tell people, find out what your ancestry is and find the divining tool that is part of your ancestry. It might call to you in a way that, you know, sitting down and memorizing 78 tarot cards isn't for everyone. It just, it isn't. And um, it might be that um, casting lots is part of your cultural history. And that when you do it, suddenly your your DNA recognizes and knows that it's in the right place and it can just kind of feel it you know I I do have Scottish ancestry so there was a lot of tea leaf reading that happened in Scotland and I it does feel very natural to me to do tea leaf reading so you know the tarot is an interesting case because among the divining methods it's one of the newer ones um, it only dates back to the 1470s and everything except the Ouija board and the magic eight ball are older. I don't know. Would you, would you even call the magic eight ball divining? I mean, that's what it is. It is kind of a yes, no divining tool, right. but um, everything else is older than those three. Uh, the casting lots, scrying, all of them. Um, they all have actually kind of amazing histories too. Um, before the witch trials, um, which is a big, a big thing. Um, but before that, even royal courts, great generals, empresses, all had court diviners. 
It was a coveted and very special position to hold in society, to be a diviner, to even be the diviner of your village. Um, it was right up there with being the healer. It was very important and valued work until influences came along that taught society otherwise. And um, the thing is, I, I don't think there was ever much evidence given historically to why these things were dangerous. Like why was an herbalist dangerous? Yes, they could poison you, but they spent a lot more time healing people and delivering babies. And yet, um, unfortunately in history, we, we the collective um, became fearful and superstitious and a lot of people died. And not just women, men, cats, dogs, all were accused of witchcraft. So when you look at it that way, you think, really, what, what dog? But it, even in Salem, here in the United States, dogs were killed as witches. Yeah. So it just it sort of emphasizes that fear and superstition have taught us not to believe in our own intuition, not to believe that understanding and communing with both spirit and nature are our birthright, because they really are. You just reminded me of, I grew up in Massachusetts, and so... Like spent a lot of time going to the witch museum and the witch house. And yeah, there's a, so much rich history there, but you can still to this day go to Salem and hear all of the stories mm -hmm. about um, all of that in case anyone is interested. But a lot of what you're saying too reminds me of like one, the importance of this, again, emphasizing that it's part of our design, but going to a diviner, it seems like such a gift and that it helps us to clarify what it is we may be sensing and doubting or help yes. us to um, uh, dissolve that inner tug of war that we often find ourselves with of what we may intuitively know, but then the other aspect of us that wants to go in an opposite direction or not believe it. And so right. it's just a beautiful way of offering us some clarity and mm -hmm. still being in our own choice. But I wanted to ask you um, as well, because you've mentioned a couple of times with like spirit guides and ancestors. So I wanted to talk about that for a moment. Um, one, do you personally work with guides when you are divining? And how do they come into play with um, even the history of mm -hmm. people being diviners? So... Everyone who does divining on any sort of professional level, they will tell you their source is different. Um, mm -hmm. Some people speak to God. Some people speak to archangels. Um, I speak to my guides and my ancestors, and I request respectfully that whoever I'm reading for, that their guides and ancestors will speak through me as well for their questions, for their best good, for their for their highest good and their best interests is what I'm trying to get out there. Yes, yes. So um, I have found that for me personally, that is the most effective way to go. Um, and when I get into a new place, I do always ask the benevolent spirits of any place where I am doing readings to uh, sort of ground and hold the space for us. And I thank them for letting us work in their, their building, their home. So um, I, I would say that it is only through these connections that I am able to do what I do. I created my own language. And I use it to do divining through tea and smoke and um, 
tarot, oracle cards, whatever system it is that I'm working with, is just another language for my spirit guides and ancestors to speak. Now, do I ever get direct messages? Yes, absolutely. I do take them. And um, it does sound like someone, to, for me, it sounds like someone's right behind me talking. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that different psychics experience that differently. Um, to me, it's not so much just a feeling, like I literally hear words. And very occasionally, this doesn't happen all the time. So I don't call myself a medium for that reason. But sometimes I will literally see people in spirit form that are related to the person I'm reading for. And I will take it in and I immediately will say, you know, one, one example, I said, you know, there's a young man, he's wearing a ball cap, he has a t-shirt with a band. And um, the woman I was reading for recognized him as her son who died in a car accident. And he was coming through to communicate with her through the reading. And again, I, I don't have that happen all the time. So that's, that is the work of a medium. And um, there are people who are extremely well-practiced with that work and they're incredible at it. Um, so if, if that's what someone's looking for, they might not want a diviner, they, they might want a medium. But um, when someone comes to a diviner, usually what they're looking for is an answer to a question about uncertainty, about risk in their life. They're trying to manage a situation or figure out a path that uh, feels confusing or um, very unsure. And I, I think especially our culture teaches people to doubt themselves. Unfortunately, the media teaches us this. Um, our, our societal systems teach us not to believe in what we want, which is a sad thing. And people will often come to me knowing, they already know the answer to the question. They already know what they want. And as you pointed out, what they're looking for is clarity. They, they're looking for, you know, should I try going to college? Should I look at moving to a different place? Should I get a third dog? You know, whatever the question might be, they already know that they can or cannot handle it in their logical, rational mind. And usually the answer is probably, yeah, you, you can handle a third dog. You should definitely take an educational opportunity and expand your knowledge and wisdom to further your career. You know, it's, it's, it's usually an answer that uh, if you were stepping out of your emotions, you could easily answer it on your own. Right. But um, I think it's one of the places that most people need healing and they need to be heard. It's in that space of where we have all learned self-doubt and fear. And it is something that a diviner can offer. They can offer quite direct answers from, you know, their spirit source or your own, if they're willing to listen to that and give you the the path, I guess, the steps that need to come next. Um, I can't speak for how all diviners work, but when I work, I usually create, when I'm doing tea or smoke, I create a piece of art and I always say it's a map. It's a map of how to go forward. It's a map of the next steps. And it might even be more about the past than about the future. Mm 
A lot of times what people really need is to sort out the things from the past so they can go forward clearly, so that they can heal the hurt and broken parts of their spirit and um, learn their lesson from whatever situation it was and move onward sort of boldly and with empowerment. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And I mean, it comes up a lot, even in the realm of energy work and these types of things, a lot of what we've gone through and how we're still carrying it or perceiving mm-hmm. it and the impact to right now. And I, I want to know more about smoke reading, as I mentioned, because I've never heard of that. But I have to ask you another question, because you have mentioned um, a few times the aspect of storytelling. And just so people know, you're a diviner, you're an author, you're a poet, <laughs> you're also a tour guide, which I want to yes. ask you about in a bit as well. But storytelling, um, can play such a significant part in how the information is translated and Mm -hmm. given to whomever may be seeking guidance, right? So I wanted to ask you a bit about that. Did your relationship to divining support you in becoming a storyteller or did your storytelling kind of tie in, (laughs) which came first, chicken or the egg, right? But could you talk how... um, storytelling really does play a part in this work. Absolutely. So I think that if you can ground someone in their own story, it's a much more effective system than giving random bits of advice at a reading. So when I look at a teacup, I'm going to actually hold up a drawing so you can see what one of my drawings looks like. So when I'm looking at a teacup, Um, I start at the handle, which is where someone is at the moment they come to see me. And that symbol will then, which where am I, will then move this way through the cup. And then I come back and start again on the other side. And that is the beginning, middle and end of their teacup. Can I just pause for one second? I'm sorry. For anyone who's listening in the podcast and not watching the video, I just want to say that is that is beautiful okay so you're an artist on top of it all because like is that a horse wait that is that is beautiful it looks almost like it reminds me of like a mandala or that I'm sorry I just wanted to say that is really beautiful yes so um when I do a teacup everybody gets their drawing and um I very clearly draw the symbols that um, show up in the cup. So yes, this one has a horse, it has a scarab beetle, it has um, a woman in Victorian clothing, it has an angel, there's a wrench, there's someone breaking out of two rocks coming apart. Um, There is a huge three. So, you know, it has its own storyline and a beginning, middle and end. And it sort of, it, it gives this person seeking clarity, the literal path forward from their spirits guide team, basically. And my team helps me interpret their messaging. So I think that when you are sitting across from a good diviner, there has to be a story. It's your story, right? And I mean, it's, it's really easy when you're looking at a palm reading because it's, it's always your story. Um, but when you're getting into the other more esoteric sort of readings and you need to in deeply interpret things. Um, it becomes very individualized. It becomes very personal, and it's not always up and it's not always all up. 
you know, everybody has these ups and downs in their story. And I, um, I wish I could say that I always deliver all good news, but that's not true. Sometimes people have to go through a valley and that's just part of their journey. Um, we all have shadows. It's an okay thing. And we need shadows to define the light. They are a critical part. And I think that people who constantly strive for only light uh, will only find disappointment because you have to have both. It's critical. Well, one of my courses of college study was photography and um, they literally taught us shadows define the light. You have to have good shadows to have a good picture. And it's the same in life. You have to make peace and be happy with how your shadows are creating your light. And um, that is another story, I'm sure, for <laughs> another day. But um, that said, it is storytelling is definitely part of the process. I, I don't know if I was always a storyteller as much as growing up, I was someone who enjoyed stories. But I, I love hearing people tell their stories. Um, early in my career, I was a newspaper journalist and it was such a good fit because I absolutely loved hearing people talk about their lives, about their experiences and share their, their, their journeys, you know, their ups and downs, their light and shadow, um, their achievements. And it was a fascinating way to learn to listen to people. I think that a lot of diviners um, miss the opportunity to let their seekers be heard uh, if they want to be, um, as much as just saying, these are what your cards say, or this is what your astrology says. Um, when you only sit with someone for like 10, 20 minutes, you're very limited in what you can offer. And um, I think that the longer sessions where you get to really dig into a reading and understand more about what that person is truly seeking, like maybe what they said they're seeking is a new job, but what they really want is um, an opportunity that inspires them. And they yes. might not come right out and say that, you know, or what they really want is um, to be healed from a loss. And, but again, they might not come right out and say that. So it's only by truly listening that we find someone's story and can help them find their path to get what they want, whether it's healing or inspiration or whatever is next on their journey. I think that storytelling is a, a critical part of the process in that. Also, the yes. stories we tell ourselves. Yes. Oh, that's a whole nother layer. But yeah. I'm so excited to hear you say that only because um, I created an Oracle deck and um, right now I'm in the middle of teaching the class. But one of the things we highlight is active listening in the mm -hmm. readings. By the time this airs, the class will be over and done with, but I'm sure they'll be so excited to hear you say that once they hear the episode. But I want to ask you about um, as well as the smoke readings, because again, mm -hmm. when I read about your work, I was like, wait a minute, what is that? I've never heard of it. So could you talk about mm -hmm. what it is? And again, mm -hmm. if there's any history behind this. Absolutely. So smoke reading is called capnomancy. It's a form of pyromancy, which is fire reading. And it is as old as fire. So people have been gazing into smoke, um, ashes and fire ever since uh, humanity first started um, harnessing that power. And I think that um, 
one of the most fascinating things about it is that it moves in real time. So when I do tea reading, the tea sticks to the inside of the cup and you have about 20, 30 minutes before it begins to fall off the cup, but it's not moving, it's not changing. Yeah. Smoke will literally answer your question in real time. And um, you, you, you must be careful. You shouldn't catch anything on fire. There's a reason I can't demonstrate it on uh, Zoom because uh, I don't wanna light my computer on fire. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, can, you can use a candle. You have to find a candle that w- has a wick that still has smoke. Many candles come with smokeless wicks now, which is a wonderful and classy thing, but not good for this practice. Um, or you can use incense. Um, I do make my own. Here's my my box that uh, is full of homemade incense. And um, I have different kinds that I make. These are made with hibiscus. I have um, ones that are made with sandalwood, but I make my own incense because there's a lot of um, really crappy incense out there that's super bad for your lungs. So I know what's in my incense. It's completely homemade, organic, and um, I don't mind breathing it while I'm doing readings. So um, when I do a smoke reading, and um, how do I say this? In terms of history, smoke reading was done in real time. Um, you would sit with someone while the smoke was literally moving around. And there are generally agreed upon ways to look at smoke. Um, Sometimes if you're looking for a yes, no, um, yes can be that the smoke blows to the right. No can be that it blows to the left, but it takes a lot of different shapes. And uh, I have seen faces in smoke. We've identified actual people, animals from people's worlds. Um, You can use, now we have these fantastic tools, you know, these. Yes. (laughs) And you can take video and pictures of your smoke and look at it as you ask the question later. Um, As you get faster, you don't need to do that. But when you're learning to look at smoke, it's a great way to really capture it and be like, that is what I saw. Or wait, that isn't at all what I saw. Um, So it's it's a wonderful way to sort of um, embrace the practice at home. So um, historically, the oracles of Delphi did use smoke as part of their readings, and uh, they are probably the most famous people who did, but um, it has been used throughout time, Mesopotamia, Northern Africa, and Europe to um, advise generals and great leaders, and all different systems of capnomancy were employed. Uh, Sometimes it was the sound the fire made, or if there were pops of spark in the smoke that mattered. Um, I have literally had pages catch on fire. Um, I do do a smoke drawing with my capnomancy, and they look like this. They are made with actual smoke. And then Again, um, people have this to take with them um, for for later. So this is, I call it a soot capture. Um, it is the soot that blows off from whatever's burning. And you don't hold the paper like on the fire. Yeah. that's That would be dangerous. Um, yeah. I usually hold it about this high up. And there have been times I asked questions and the flame literally leapt. And I... I think, okay, well, we're gonna emphasize that point. (laughs) Um, A few times, yes, things have caught on fire. So that's why I say this has to be done very carefully and mindfully. You can't do it next to an open window. Um, You can't do it next to a draft or a vent. Uh, Things like that will change the shape of the smoke. 
I don't do it outside with campfires. Um, there's just too much influence from wind and things like that to have a, a, a reading that can answer your questions um, easily. Mm -hmm. I know there are people who do use outdoor fire. If I'm outdoors doing this kind of reading, I normally look at the ash because it, okay. it won't move quite as quickly right. with the wind. Yeah. You know, okay, so many things come up when you share. I'm so sorry, Risa. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's why I'm taking notes because I have so many questions for you. One, when you said about the, the smoke and the popping, it reminded me of um, when I was much younger, things like a lifetime ago, um, I was married um, to someone who was Persian and his mother, who was also a tarot reader, but she would do the traditional, I can't remember what it was called, but it's kind of like to clear the evil eye from you. And there yeah. are these little seed things and they, you know, wave the thing with the smoke and, but depending on how it popped or how much smoke would billow, mm -hmm. it was to say how much was going on in your space. So yeah, you just reminded me of that. But also from what you shared, um, if you weren't necessarily intending to read someone, but let's say someone came over for tea and you mm -hmm. had a candle lit, do you find that the smoke just naturally moves on energy or moves on word or moves on the environment to where you may be able to read it anyway, even though it wasn't mm -hmm. your intention to read. The smoke. If it needs to come through. Yes. Yeah. I have definitely had moments where I wasn't planning to read um, and received those kinds of messages and information. Yes. That's, yeah. that's a thing that does happen. So I generally do keep my reading candles separate from my day-to-day -day burning candles. But I, even when I'm doing tea or tarot, I always have a candle lit. I, I like to have the elements represented when I'm working. And uh, it's just, it's grounding for me. I don't think it's necessary for everyone. It's just my practice. Right. And I, I have had messages come through in other ways. Um, and whatever I'm called to share, I do. Um, there are definitely things that come through in readings that are trickier. And um, I've, I've had things like um, trauma and abuse show up in readings. And it is more difficult to talk about them with um, the people who are seeking. It might not be what they said they were here about. Okay. It might be that they were, you know asking about um, their house or their pets or their kids. And what comes out is that they're in an abusive relationship. And I, I gently approach it. And um, I, I do say something, if it comes out, I, I present it because it's clear that that's what the spirit guides wanted. Mm -hmm. um, that maybe they wanted that person to face that truth. Right. And um I've had people who've committed crimes, um, all kinds of things that I didn't expect at all. Yeah. So when I teach reading, I tell people, when, if you're not ready to talk about these things with total strangers, you're not ready to read for the public. And that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. totally fine. Um, you can read for yourself, you can read for your friends, you, you know, I always encourage people, if you aren't ready, or don't feel comfortable, and you don't feel like you have good, strong boundaries, then you're not ready to read for the public. And um, messages come in different ways. Sometimes I literally hear them, like I told you. Uh, sometimes they, they pop up in some other thing, or I will say, I really feel guided at your tea or smoke reading to pull some cards 
um, I will do that. Um, I also have a bag of crystals that I use for casting. And I don't usually offer that as its own divination method, but sometimes I feel pulled to do those. And they usually have a secondary message as well. Yeah, that is amazing. You know, another thing that came to mind when you were describing the uh, reading of the smoke is clouds, like how a lot of times we'll see images in the clouds. Um, But I wanted to ask you as well, because I do want to ask you about your tour guides and even Mm -hmm. what people um, can come and how they can come and work with you. But with the different um, divination methods you offer, is it typical that a person goes to your site and they choose which they want Mm -hmm. or do they consult with you first and figure what would be the best method? People usually find me because they're looking for something different. I, I do have some um, regular, I, I don't know what's the word, clients that love tarot readings and that's what they get from me. Yeah. And they that is where they want to be and I honor that. Um, I get a lot of folks who <laughs> are fans of Harry Potter and uh, want to try tea leaf reading, including some very young Harry Potter fans. I generally won't read for anyone younger than 12. Um, it, it's surprising if someone younger than that is going to have a very um, in-depth tea leaf reading. And it's enough of a process that I, I don't want the parents or caretakers to feel like they've spent a lot of money on something that was a nothing. Yeah. Um, it's just, they're just not ready, right. <laughs> even though they love Harry Potter. Um, so I, I will do readings for younger uh, seekers, but only if they're actually seeking something besides uh, to um, relate to Harry. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that said, um, I think that it's interesting to say people who get tea are often born under either earth or water signs. And the people who love smoke are air and fire signs. And this is not a scientific study. It's just what I've noticed over time. And uh, I I can't explain um, that it it has to be that way. It doesn't at all. But um, people who are fire and air signs, they really resonate with how the smoke readings work, with how it's fire and air together. Yes, there is the element of plants that are, are in the incense or the earth and the wax, but they just love them. And people who are earthy and watery really resonate with tea. Yeah. That just reminded me as well. I wanted to ask you, do you notice that there is a certain type of spirit or essence with the different teas or with the different, (laughs) um, whatever you use to, um, produce the smoke with, Mm -hmm. do, do you notice or work with those spirits or energies? So, When I used to read only in person, um, before the pandemic, I did make my own tea blends and I would ask people, you know, which one of these feels good to you? Um, This one was designed to be about relationships. This one was designed to be about material world. Um, So yes, there are plants that have those energies. However, um, during the pandemic, I stopped mixing teas for the public. I actually stopped reading for the public for over a year, but um, I switched to reading online. And um, it has actually opened up the world. I've now read for people on four continents and all over the United States. So um, in some ways it was a really good thing to develop a new system and adapt to technology. Um, I do think that it works the same. 
Now, as far as recommending tea to people, I, I just want them to get a good, clear picture for me and to have a, a cup that um, they feel comfortable drinking. And the short answer is yes, that those things yeah. do have their own energy and resonance always. Any, any herbalist can tell you that. Any gardener can tell you that. But um, I do still work with them in my own space. Um, I... I generally use um, flower essences like this one in the spray bottle to ground and clear my space. Um, if I am working in the public and I can offer my own tea, um, then yes, sometimes I guide people. Other times they're they're just like, I need whatever is sweet. I can't, you know, not everybody likes tea. Tea itself yeah. has a bitterness and um, I love it. I think it's very a nice balance to sweetness. But um, it's not for everyone, especially some of the younger folks who come. Um, but I can only use sugar. Honey or maple syrup will absolutely change the nature of what you're reading. Um, any kind of milk or cream, even the plant-based ones, will make it gloppy as well. So it does change the tea leaves and make them unreadable. And, um, you know, I always tell people it's a tiny teacup. They're like a half a cup of liquid. Just chug it. If you, yeah. if, if, if it's, if it's weird for you or it's different, just chug it. It's, it's one half a cup of liquid in the course of your whole life. Right. So, that's you know, so fine. That's a good way to look at it. You know, and I, I did have a woman who told me that she was so frightened of loose tea in her cup. She didn't think she could read it. And I was like, you know, then maybe this isn't for you. Let's pull out these tarot cards and go with that. And it's totally okay. You know, I'm, I understand that reading tea leaves isn't for everyone. So it's okay. It's okay to be where you are if that's not your thing. So if someone were to have a remote session with you, then they would still drink their own cup of tea and then yes. get their impressions from it. Mm -hmm. So okay. the way it works when I do a remote reading is that um, people book through my website and then I send them a video of how to do it. Okay. And um it's just the easiest way to sort of show instead of trying to tell in directions yes. what to do and they will drink their tea and um, then they will send me a set of pictures and I will do their drawing. So, you know, no matter what, somebody gets one of these drawings, whoops, wrong direction. So that um, they have their, their guidance, their map all ready to go. And so uh, thank you. And um, I, you know, sidestep, sometimes I get pictures back from my clients, they've framed them or they're sitting on an altar or in a bedroom. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, they're really beautiful. It's really, yeah. really, um, it's incredibly, um, it's not just flattering. It's like a gift to know that their drawing was that important to them, that they framed right. it and hung it in their home. So yeah, I, I do, I love giving the drawings. Um, it is something that the tea and smoke allows me to, to give out um, so that it's not just a memory from the reading, right. but um, an actual piece of information that people continue to look at. And then, I mean, and the beauty with that is it still speaks to us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever yep. came through and like the power of symbolism and how we do even unconsciously just glancing mm -hmm back and forth at um, the artwork that you create. It's like the, the essence and the um, messaging, the support of the reading will continue to sink well, in. Well, this one, 
the horse. Um, I, I had someone who had a, a different horse in a reading and she said now whenever she sees a horse, it's been her agreement with her spirit guides since the horse showed up in her cup that she knows she's on the right path when she sees a horse, whether it's on TV or in an ad or on somebody's bumper sticker, um, the horse became her. I'm on. This is the right way to go. Symbol. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's amazing. I hope I would even say if you're listening to this through the podcast, like go check out the video just so that you can see how beautiful these drawings are. Um, I also wanted to ask you really quickly, because I still want to hear about your tour guides and these things, but it also with what you're sharing, I just want to highlight for people that the benefit of like, say if someone wanted to come and learn this from you or um, people are just interested in refining again, what could very much be a natural ability, the benefit of doing that, even if you didn't want to do it for others, because you mentioned before, like sometimes people, they just may not be ready to read for others, but could you talk a little bit about that benefit that you've noticed personally and even with clients Mm -hmm. of just trusting enough to be able to read for yourself. That's exactly the word I was going to use. The more you trust yourself, the easier it is to just get through your everyday life. Um, We always have challenges. 100% of people have challenges in their life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that if you have practiced listening to your intuition, that you have practiced in whatever way feels good to you, listening to your intuition, um, being aware, ha- having having self-awareness and um, seeing what's around you, literally, it makes those everyday ups and downs easier to navigate. It is a real benefit to trust yourself. Um, you know, I can think of a million examples in my own life where my intuition was flashing like a red light going, do not do this, do not trust this person. And I'm like, okay. And I, it was the wrong call to go forward. And I did it anyway. And um, <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew it was not going to work out. I knew that the situation wasn't going to go well, or it wasn't a right match for me. But did I listen to myself? No, I do now. And I had to make some uh, mistakes. (laughs) I had to make a few wrong turns. And then I finally realized, you know, each one of these situations, I I knew in my gut where the intuition generally lives, right? And that sacral and solar plexus chakra. I know everybody says that it's up here. There too, but come on, we all know the gut feeling, right? if you have practiced listening to your intuition through any medium, through cards, through astrology, through angel numbers, through whatever resonates for you, then when real life situations are in front of you, you'll still trust yourself. And, you know, you might want to refer back to those cards or you might want to refer back to your numbers or to your incense smoke or whatever it is that speaks to you, but it will simply reaffirm what you already knew every time um, because you've learned to trust yourself in that process. I love that so much. Um, Gosh, I wish we had more time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really beautiful. I'm sure people are going to resonate so much and have so much curiosity around what it is that you've shared so far. 
but I have mentioned that you are also an author and a poet and I saw on your site that you even do tour guides so could you share a little bit about the type of (laughs) tour guides that you offer and Mm -hmm. um, where people can come if they want Mm -hmm. to tour with you so if folks are on the east coast I work in the mid-atlantic region Um, that's where I'm at now I do tours in Pennsylvania and Maryland mostly I do esoteric history and ghost tours as well as esoteric history talks Now, I do offer some of them online sometimes, and I do put that on my website when it's happening. But if you want to see me in person, I do ghost tours in Maryland. Um, I have, I think, three coming up this month in April. And uh, I do them in Ellicott City, Maryland. It is a, for those of you who love crystals, you'll think Ellicott City is especially fascinating. It is on a bedrock of granite that is spliced in with crystal quartz. So Talk about a a place with fascinating energy. It's almost uh, an addicting energy. And I guess the ghosts feel the same. So I also do ghost tours in York, PA. Um, It is where the town I grew up and is where my folks still live. So I go there and I do ghost tours once a month, uh, probably more towards the fall. And then I do witch history and cryptid history and... um, divination history probably a uh, history of superstitions is one of my more popular talks and it's not location specific so i do it online a lot and it sort of breaks down where a lot of our common beliefs come from things like uh, a cat stealing your breath literally never happens um, <laughs> <laughs> literally never happens um I always tell folks when I'm talking about it, I will give you $50 if you could show me a police <laughs> report that it has been verified by a coroner of a cat stealing someone's breath. Um, but it is an old superstition um, and it does come from the witch trial days when they thought cats were witches familiars. So I think that a lot of these superstitions and stories they endure because we're not done learning from them as a culture. We still have lessons and we still have things we need to reflect on as a larger community about why are we afraid of the number 13? You know, um, why are we afraid to do things like put our shoes on the table? Um, Why in some Asian cultures do they believe an electric fan can blow your soul away? So, yeah, superstition is a fascinating thing. It is not grounded in fact but people believe it more than actual facts. Oh yeah. Yeah. I grew up with a very superstitious mom and like to this day, I freak out. It's so embedded in me. I freak out when I'm right uh, walking with someone and they split a pole. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But I love that you say um, a lot of these stories that we still have such an opportunity to learn from them. Yes. I really love that you even frame it that way. So I have to say, Risa, I well, I'm in Maryland all the time because it's where my family is. I'm definitely going to check on my next visit to see if you're offering any tours because it sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, so I do want to make sure that people know your website is teaandsmoke.com yep. and they can learn about everything that we've discussed today and also book all of these different types of readings with you. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned that you have some online offerings where people can learn from you as well. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there was so 
much that you shared and I really wish we had more time. <laughs> but I um, just wanted to ask you one last thing. I mean, mm-hmm. especially because this has become such an, an important and significant part of your life. Do you have any tip for people who are kind of teetering on that edge of really wanting to trust themselves or really kind of, you know, feeling called, but don't know what to do? Ask yourself, what do you have to lose in the situation? So the reality is there are some situations that are a big gamble. You know, if the question is, should I invest $5 million in a new stock? Yeah, you have something to lose. But I bet that if you have $5 million to put into a stock, you probably have 20 others that you're counting on to sustain you elsewhere. So the reality is that most of the time, the decisions that we agonize over won't really affect us negatively if we get them wrong, as long as we recognize the path. Now, sometimes people get stuck. And if you make a bad decision and you get stuck in it, that's that's trickier. But if the decision, you know, I've, I've had folks tell me, you know, my, my big decision right now is whether or not I should get a cat. Well, you know, look at this from a logical point of view as well. A cat can add a lot to your life that's positive, But, you know, depending on the cat, they might destroy your curtains or they might eat your favorite shoes. Is it that big a deal? You know, are the are the cons and the pros equal? You know, but then on the flip side, that cat might give you 20 years of unconditional love and companionship, which, you know, is a pretty big give, really. So, you know, do the curtains matter in the long run? Can you get another pair of shoes? Probably, you know, uh, so that that's a, a very lighthearted example. But a lot of times the questions that we're asking are just like that. So if you lose a job because you took a risk on a project, is it the end of the world? It's going to be tricky for a minute, but you will find another job. Absolutely. Right. You will. And, you know, if you need a, a patch over job in the meantime, you'll figure that out. All you have to do is do it and take action. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because the inquiry comes right back to ourselves. So yes, I just want to let everyone know again, um, you can connect with Risa on her website, tandsmoke.com. Um, are there any other ways that we can connect with you, like social media? I am on Instagram and YouTube as well. They are my my two platforms that I'm working on right now. And um, I post pretty regularly on both. I do free readings that I post every month on my YouTube channel as well. So if you want to see a tea leaf reading, I post one at the beginning of each month. Okay. And then what is your um, Instagram handle? It's tea and smoke by Rissa. Okay. And on YouTube, it's Tassiography by Rissa. Tassiography is another way to say tea leaf reading. Perfect. Okay, so I will make sure all of that is down in the show description for everyone. But again, you can go to uh, Risa's website, which is tnsmoke.com. I thank you so much for coming to share about your work and really teaching us so much today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You were a delight to talk to. Thank you. And for everyone else, we will see you soon. Bye for now.
Hello, beautiful alchemist. As I said, that was a very insightful conversation with Risa Miller. And I want to thank Risa again for joining us and sharing her work with us. Um, if you want to learn more about Risa and her work, be sure to visit teaandsmoke.com. And don't forget, if you are in Maryland, very close to Ellicott City area, she offers tours as well. And you can look on her website and get all information about what she has upcoming. And don't forget, while you're online, download the Energetic Alchemist app. There is a ton of content on there to support you on your path. You can also get your copy of the Energetic Alchemist Oracle. And if you want to work with me and really dive deeper into your practice of energetic alchemy, Reiki, self-mastery, join me in the alchemy circle. I look forward to seeing you all next week. As always, I am very thankful for these beautiful gifts of exchange. And remember to always journey in love. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.